0: Right, so we're going to be continuing on uh, with this series of looking at the biblical feasts. And uh, before we look at the Sabbath today, uh, let me just do a quick recap of what we covered last week, seeing as uh, some of us were here and some of us weren't. Um, So we began uh, this series of looking at the biblical feasts, and we started by answering, I think, the most important question, uh, which is what are the feasts and why should they matter to me? And I think if we can answer that question, uh, then it gives us a sense of, uh, I guess, understanding, but also safety to then explore these things without worrying about legalism um, and other things that, you know, could, uh, I guess, turn us away from the focus of Jesus. So, just as a quick recap so, what are they? So we talked about that these are God's feasts, that we're working from this passage um, in Leviticus 23. And in this passage and all throughout the scriptures, God constantly claims these feasts as his own. And we commonly refer to them as Jewish celebrations, which I think has kind of created this view of, well, they're irrelevant to us as as Gentile Christians, as people that are non-Jewish. Um, And certainly the Jews are the custodians of these feasts, that the revelation and the instruction of them was given to them uh, to carry, and so they are deeply entwined with uh, the Jewish culture, but ultimately, and from the get-go, these were God's feast. And so that means that the invitation to learn about them, to celebrate them, is open to all of God's people, including you and I. And that has always been the case, even from the get-go, when he said, invite the stranger, the foreigner, to come to celebrate with you. So they are God's feasts. They are appointments in God's calendar. So we looked at the Hebrew word for feasts, which is moedim, uh, and this means an appointed time. And so the best way to kind of think about these feasts is is uh, they are annual and weekly, weekly and annual appointments in God's calendar, where He has promised to meet with His people, and we know that He is omnipresent and He is available any time that we call upon His name. But from the get go, He has set these uh, special times in His calendar uh, where He meets with His people. They are rehearsals for the future. So in Leviticus twenty three, God says that the feasts are holy convocations. I have no idea what the English word convocations mean. It's too old school for me. But the Hebrew word means rehearsals. And so these are more than just times of stopping and remembering and celebrating, which they are. Um, They are actually rehearsals. They are preparing us for a future time and a future event, uh, which Jesus made reference to during the last Passover or the Last Supper, as we more commonly know it. You know, that I won't partake of these things until... Uh, my kingdom come. So he's referencing this future event. They are eternally observed. God repeats uh, an instruction to the Jews to always keep these feasts. In every generation, no matter where they live, the instruction was to always celebrate these uh, appointed times. And then we see from uh, books like Ezekiel and Zechariah that several of the feasts, if not all of them, will continue to be observed when Jesus uh, touches down on earth and establishes his kingdom here. And so perhaps this is the time that we are rehearsing for. Uh, And so far better to arrive at that point, having at least a little bit of an understanding, than show up and wondering, what the heck are we doing? Because we missed the (laughs) rehearsal times on this side of eternity. And they are historical and prophetic in nature. So God instructs us to remember his faithfulness during these celebrations, to stop Because he knows that we are prone to get busy, that we are prone to forget. And so these are times to stop, to remember, to reflect. And so there's a historical aspect to them as we look back. Uh, But Paul then tells us in Colossians 2 16 and 17 that all of these holy days are symbolic of Jesus. And so God established these feasts, you know, 2,000 years before the arrival of Jesus as a prophetic blueprint. Uh, of what his ministry would be. And so Jesus has fulfilled the first four feasts of Passover, Unleavened Bread, First Fruits, and Pentecost uh, in a very timely and accurately ma- uh, accurate manner, and we'll, ex- we'll explore that next week moving forward, uh, which means we can then assume that he will fulfill the remaining three of trumpets, uh, the Day of Atonement, and tabernacles when he returns. And so the feasts encourage us to look back, but also to look forward, and so they're historical and prophetic. So this is what they are. So why should they matter to us? Firstly, they're symbolic of Jesus. Colossians two sixteen to seventeen says that all of these things, you know, he says don't be, don't let anyone condemn you for not keeping them. It's not about the legalism or the practice of such things. These were foreshadows of a reality yet to come, and that Jesus is that reality. So they tell us more about the one that we love, that we've given our lives to, um, and so in learning about them, we gain a better understanding of who Jesus is and what he's done and what he will do in his return. They confirm that God is faithful to keep his word year after year, season after season, that God is faithful and therefore he will keep all of his word. And we can trust in what he says because what he established way back in has been fulfilled and will continue to be fulfilled. So remembering what God did yesterday, remembering today what God did yesterday gives us faith for tomorrow. Uh, Thirdly, they confirm that God is in control and that his timing is perfect. And so despite our circumstances, despite the conditions of the world around us, which is just chaos, uh, God is in control and his timing is perfect and it's accurate. So we can rest in the knowledge of that truth that God has got this. Fourthly, they were practiced by Jesus, the apostles, and the early church, that these were beautiful ancient practices that Jesus and his disciples faithfully and eagerly kept every week and every year, Um, and the early church continued these practices, even more so with the understanding that Jesus was the fulfillment of them. It just added a whole new element to something that they already were familiar with. And then lastly, they are beneficial to us to stop, to rest, to reflect, and to celebrate the goodness of our God. Because again, like I said, he knows our tendency to just get caught up in the busyness, to forget. You know, we tell ourselves that we won't forget, but we do. And so he has established these as weekly and annual opportunities to just stop, to cease our work, to reflect, and to celebrate who he is and what he has done. And so my prayer is, is that um, as we learn about these things, that our love for Jesus would increase and that we would be conformed more into his image, um, You know, because these appointed times testify of who he is. He is the fulfillment of them. So then, let us look at Sabbath, or Shabbat in Hebrew. So, Leviticus 23 is the main passage that we're um, working from and, and then exploring other verses as well. So, Leviticus 23, verse 3 says that six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation. You shall do no work on it. It is the Sabbath of the Lord in all of your dwellings. So, the Hebrew word for Sabbath is Shabbat. Can we say Shabbat? Beautiful. Now you speak Hebrew. And it most literally means to stop. Um, it can also mean to rest, to delight. And to worship. And so, based on these four meanings of Shabbat, you can frame Sabbath um, almost in four movements of stopping, resting, delighting, and worshiping. And so, this is a pattern that um, Pastor John Mark Comer, if anyone's heard of him, um, follows in a course that he runs called Practicing the Way. Um, I've put the course uh, link in the notices, you'll see that's what that is. Um, and I've I've been working through this this four week Sabbath course. It's more than just learning head knowledge. It's 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 about putting these things into practice, um, because they're not just topics that we should know about or things that we should debate theologically over. They're things that are to be practiced. And so I want to give us just a, a brief overview of what Sabbath could look like uh, in your life based on these four movements uh, before we then continue to expand on what Sabbath is and look at its symbolic reference to Jesus. So a Sabbath is typically a 24-hour period of time where we stop, we hit the pause button on our, uh, our weekday work, on our regular routines, and we intentionally engage in resting, in delighting, and in worshiping our God. So the first action of stop, however, is actually easier said than done, right? Uh, Because in the world that we live today that never stops, it's hard to stop. Uh, Some of you here will remember um, that up until the 1980s here in New Zealand, shops were closed on Saturdays and Sundays. And so we had structured our society around Sabbath, whether you were religious or not, that was just the way that our society had been structured. And so everyone, by default, took a Sabbath, in a sense. However, that all changed by the 1990s, and I'm not saying that it's an innately bad thing. I would probably find it very odd to go back to not having shops open on a Saturday and Sunday. Um, But in changing this, we pulled down the cultural architecture uh, that we had built around Sabbath. And so that makes it difficult today to stop, because everything is just go, 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 go. And that may be because you work on weekends, um, or that might be because, you know, you get things done on the weekends with shopping and things like that. Um, The reality is it's hard to stop in this day and age. And to be honest, this idea of stopping and practicing Sabbath um, can seem like uh, an interruption to the busyness. We've got a lot on our plates, and so it can seem like it's unhelpful to stop. I like what Corey Ten Boom says. She says, if the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. And the truth is, both sin and busyness have the exact same effect, that they cut off our connection to God, to other people, and even to our own soul. And so we need to stop. In spite of what society says, in spite of what the norm is, in spite of our busyness, in spite of whether our work is finished or not, we need to stop. We need to turn off our phones. Uh, shut down our laptops, clear our calendars, do whatever it is that you need to do so that you can just stop and rest. And so in resting, we rest from work. We rest from thinking about work. We rest from the pressures and the expectations caused by work. We rest even though our work is unfinished. And we rest ultimately because God rested Genesis 2.2 says that on the seventh day God had finished his work of creation, so he rested from all his work. God modeled a pattern of work and rest right at the start of creation, even before our work became a burdensome thing due to the, you know, the effects of sin. God showed us right from the get-go that rest is essential. And when we rest, it's more than just physical rest. It's more than just taking the day off, relaxing, having a nap. These are good things. These are restful things. But it's more than that. It's holistic rest, or what Jesus calls rest for your souls. So we're all familiar with Matthew 11, 30, the invitation, Come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. The Sabbath is intended to refresh our weary and restless souls, and it does this through these next two movements of delight and worship. The late Tim Keller said, because the world is full of ugly things, we need the Sabbath to feed our soul with beauty. Sabbath is a time of intentionally delighting in the beauty of God's creation, in the beauty of his word, and ultimately in the beauty of God himself and who he is. And I think for many of us, um, including myself, uh, have yet to really learn how to enjoy God. Uh, we believe in Him. We worship Him. We serve Him. We obey Him. These are all good things. But do we delight in Him? Psalm thirty-seven four says, "Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart." Psalm sixteen eleven says, "You will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand there are pleasures forever. God is a God of joy. And Sabbath isn't meant to be a dreary religious duty. It's supposed to be a life-giving day of delight. Dan Allender, in his book on the Sabbath, says this, The Sabbath is an invitation to enter delight. The Sabbath, when experienced as God intended, is the best day of our lives. Without question or thought, it is the best day of the week. It is the day that we anticipate on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, and it's the day we remember on Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. Sabbath is the holy time where we feast, play, dance, have sex, sing, pray, laugh, tell stories, read, paint, walk, and watch creation in all its fullness. Few people are willing to enter the Sabbath and sanctify it to make it holy because a full day of delight and joy is more than most people can bear in a lifetime, let alone in a week. The Sabbath is about delighting ourselves in the Lord. And that's going to look different for each person because what you may consider to be a restful and delightful activity may be something like work for me. And so it's very, um, you know, it, it's, it's adjustable to what you, you find delightful. And so basically ask yourself, what could I do for a 24-hour period of time that would bring me deep, visceral joy in God? And then whatever comes to mind, run each of those activities through the grid of stop, rest delight and worship. Ask yourself, is this stopping? Um, Is this what I would normally do during the work week? Is this resting? Is this delighting? Does it spark joy? And is it worship? Does it connect me more deeply to God? And if the answer is yes, then do those things. However, you know, as a side note, as with all things, the enemy and our fallen nature can quickly uh, misinterpret an idea like delight Uh, and turn a Godward day of joy into a self-centered day of pleasure. And this is not the focus at all. It's not meant to be a day of just binge-watching Netflix and just doing anything and everything. It's supposed to be a day of delight and ultimately a day of worship. So God declared that the Sabbath was holy way back in Genesis 2, and he continues to reiterate that it is holy throughout the Scriptures. The Hebrew word for holy is kadosh, and it means set apart. And so the Sabbath has been set apart from the other six days to orient or reorient our lives around God, to make him the center of it all, which is his rightful place as our Lord. And so this can be done in so many different ways, whether it be through singing or spending time, giving resources, giving our attention and our affection to him, yielding our will to him. Anything that places him at the center and directs our heart to his glory and goodness is a form of worship. And so, yes, it is a day to stop and to rest and to refill our tanks. Yes, it's a day to delight and to celebrate. But above all these things, it's a day to contemplate the good news that God has given his life to us through Jesus, and it is now our joy to give our lives back to him in worship. Ruth Haley Barton, in her chapter on Sabbath in the book of Sacred Rhythms, says, I know what it's like to rest for hours until I have the energy to delight in something, a good food, uh, sorry, good food, a good book, a leisurely walk, a long-awaited conversation with someone I love. I know what it's like to feel joy and hope and peace flow back into my body and soul, though I had thought it might never come again. And I know what it's like to see my home and my children through the Sabbath eyes of enjoyment. I know what it's like to have rest turn into delight, and delight turn into gratitude, and gratitude into worship. And so there's a progression through these aspects that as we stop, as we rest, as we delight, that it invokes a response of worship and gratitude. And it should leave us feeling refreshed and ready to begin our week. So that's all we're going to talk about in terms of how it can practically look. If you are interested in learning more, I encourage you to check out that course, Practicing the Way. Um, It's free. There's nine spiritual disciplines that he looks at. Um, Each takes four weeks to go through. Uh, It can be done in community. It can be done by yourself. Um, But yeah, just have a look and, and check that out. All right. Let's look at some of those nitty-gritty questions that we have around Sabbath. So, what day is the Sabbath? Yeah, Is it Saturday? Is it Sunday? Is it some other day? Biblically speaking, the Sabbath has always been on the seventh day of the week, which would be what we would call Saturday. Uh, since the command was given at Mount Sinai until this day, uh, Jewish people around the world have observed the Sabbath beginning at sundown on Friday until sundown on Saturday. And they do this because the account of creation in Genesis 1 says that there was evening and there was morning the first day. Evening, morning, second day, and so on and so on. And so this is how they measure their days. From evening to evening rather than midnight to midnight like we do. And I think there's a a real beauty in viewing your days like this because every day begins with a meal and then it begins with rest. And then you start the rest of your day. Whereas, I don't know about you, but often we dread the start of our days, whether it's we're waking up earlier than we would like to, um, you know, the house is, is chaos because maybe it's kids or we're running late, we've got to go to work, we've got to drop things off. Um, there's often a sense of, oh, here we go again when we start our days. But in the Jewish way of doing it, your day begins with a meal and with rest. And I just think there's a real beauty to that. So then, if Sabbath is on the Saturday, why do Christians celebrate Sunday as Sabbath? That's a great question. Uh, What we know for certain is that in the year 325 AD at the Council of Nicaea, the Roman Emperor Constantine, with the support of the Catholic Church, declared that Sunday was now the Lord's Day, that they had the authority to do that. And so that's what they decided to do as they Christianized um, the Roman Empire. Why this exactly happened is unclear. Um, there are some thoughts of maybe anti-Semitism was involved, uh, it was certainly present in the church at that time, um, and so that may have played a factor in the role of separating themselves um, from the Jews. Uh, some suggest maybe the uh, the act of sun worship may have influenced the decision as a kind of compromise with this enforced Christianization of the Roman Empire, and, and not everyone was going to be Christian. Um, I personally would like to give them the benefit of the doubt and say that maybe it was for more Positive and pure reasons, like perhaps they were honouring the resurrection of Jesus that occurred on a Sunday. Um, but whatever the reason is, um, the change from Saturday to Sunday wasn't authorised by Scripture. Um, it was something that the church decided to do in the first century and has since been continued to be practised until this day. So, does it doesn't matter? Does it doesn't matter whether we worship on Saturday or on Sunday or observe Zerb- Sabbath? Based on Romans 14, I would say no, it doesn't. Verses 5 and 6 of Romans 14 says, One person considers one day more sacred than another, and another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. I believe Paul is telling us that, Really, it's less about which particular day that we practice Sabbath, that there is a grace um, upon us, that it's it's more about just being convinced that if it's Saturday, if it's Sunday, that this is the day that we've dedicated to rest, to delight, and to worship our God. And so whether you choose Saturday or Sunday, whether it's sundown to sundown, midnight to midnight, whether it's a 24-hour period, whether it's a 12-hour period, whatever it may be. Um, my encouragement is to structure your life and continue, because I know many of us already do, to structure our lives around this rhythm of rest that God has given us, because it's a gift. And then lastly, is it a binding command for Christians today? Um, To be honest, I don't know if I can answer that question kind of once and for all, because it's an ongoing debate among theologians and people that are far more knowledgeable and smarter than I am. I can give you my personal perspective of it, of it. So I would sit on the side that says yes, uh, but perhaps not in the way that you'd think. So I acknowledge that the words command and law tend to carry a, a negative connotation with them here in our, our Western expression of Christianity. And so me saying yes could could come across as you know legalistic or burdensome, which is not the case. The Hebrew word for law, which is Torah, which we're most familiar with the first five books of the Bible, Um, but Torah literally means instructions. Law is not the the most accurate um, interpretation, instructions is. And so when I think about the context in which the law and the commandments were given, they really were instructions given to a people group that had been slaves in Egypt for 400 years who were more familiar with that way of life than anything else. And now they've been set free and they're being brought into their own land to create a society. And without clear instructions, without, you know, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, chances are they're going to resort to what they know best, which would be Egypt, which was not in accordance to God's ways. And so God gave them very clear instructions, a list of do's and don'ts and how to respond to different situations so that they could create a society that would be most honoring to God, that he could come and dwell and abide in. So when you view them, um, when you view Sabbath less as a legalistic command and more as a life-giving instruction, I think it, it shows that really Sabbath is um, it's the ideal way to live according to the one that created us and who knows us best and established it long ago that this is the rhythm that we should be pursuing So, in talking about it being a life-giving instruction, Sabbath is a rhythm. When the instruction of Sabbath is first given um, as part of the Ten Commandments, or the Ten Instructions, whatever you want to call them, in Exodus 20, verse 8 to 11, it says this, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. For six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor any animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And so here at Mount Sinai, the instruction to remember the Sabbath is to remember the rhythm that God modeled during creation. And so we're familiar with these verses way back in Genesis 2, um, that God finished his work of creation and he rested, the word is literally he Shabbat, he Sabbathed from all his work and he blessed the seventh day and declared it holy because it was the day that he Sabbathed from all his work. And so two and a half thousand plus years before it, it appears in our Bible as a command, Sabbath is a rhythm. It's the ideal pattern, as demonstrated by God, on how we are to operate, to work for six days and to rest for one. Did you know that the seventh day, the seven-day week is the one unit of time that's not tied to the movement of stars? The day is tied to the Earth's 24-hour rotation, the month to the moon's lunar cycle, and obviously the year to the Earth's journey around the sun, but the seven-day week is not. Many attribute this to the Babylonians or later to the Romans when Constantine made it the official Romanized week uh, in 321 AD. But actually, it was God who established this pattern of seven days according to his own rhythm of creation. And he blessed it and he made it holy. Wayne Muller says that the Sabbath is not a burdensome requirement from some law-giving deity. You ought, you'd better, you must but rather a remembrance of a law that is firmly embedded in the fabric of nature. It is a reminder of how things really are, the rhythmic dance to which we unavoidably belong. And so I think to deny ourselves a day of rest is to go against the rhythm that God, the creator himself, has built into our bodies and into the fabric of all creation. Philosopher Herbert Henry Farmer says that when you go against the grain of the universe, you get splinters. So I think to try and go against what God has established way back when we were created, it just doesn't work. We can't. We're not robots. We're not meant to go, go, go 24-7. We have to stop. Otherwise, we crash. And so having this weekly rhythm of working and resting, working and resting is the ideal pattern. And God demonstrated it himself, the one who, who never rests, who never sleeps and never slumbers. He doesn't need rest, but he showed us that this is how it should be. So Sabbath is a rhythm. Sabbath is also an act of resistance. So 40 years later, after the Ten Commandments are given on Mount Sinai in Exodus 20, they're then retold to the new generation of Israelites just before they enter in to the Promised Land. And so in Deuteronomy 5, 12 to 15, it says, Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. As the Lord your God has commanded you, six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day it's a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do no work, neither you nor your son, your daughter, your male or female servant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of the animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns, so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. The same, right? Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. It's the same instruction, but the rationale of why to keep the Sabbath is different. In Exodus, Sabbath is about rhythm. It's about mimicking what God modeled back in Genesis. But here in Deuteronomy, Sabbath is about resistance. And so the Israelites have been freed from this oppressive system of Egypt that they were slaves to. They didn't get days off to practice Sabbath. When you're a slave, you don't get time off. You work nonstop until you die. And your value is based in how much you can work and how much you can produce. And that never measured up to the ever-increasing expectations of the Egyptians. And so the instruction here is to remember that that's no longer the case, that there is no daily quota or rip whip-crazy taskmaster, that now you are in a new kingdom under a new king. And yes, you will have to work hard when you enter into the promised land, but don't forget to rest, to resist the temptation to resort to this false sense of productivity by working nonstop, as you once had to, and to resist the possibility of becoming the taskmasters yourselves, that you must allow your servants and your animals to rest also, to not become the Egyptians in this scenario." And so likewise, we live in a society that values productivity uh, and has unattainable expectations. The goal of what we should be achieving is constantly moving. Um, And every time you think you're close to it, it, you, you realize actually it's further and further away. And whilst we wouldn't say that we are enslaved to this way of life, we wouldn't like to think so, the fact is it's hard to stop. It's hard to get out of this cycle. It's hard to be satisfied with the work uh, with the work that we've done or content with what we have because the world is constantly constantly telling us that it's not enough that it's never enough that there's always more. but practicing Sabbath is a way of resisting this way of life because in the same way that Moses was sent to bring liberty to the Israelites from the wicked and oppressive rule of Pharaoh in Egypt, Jesus has been sent to bring liberty to you and to me and to anyone who believes in him from this wicked and oppressive rule of sin and death. And so Jesus is the king, but he's nothing like Pharaoh. He is a Sabbath-keeping, rest-giving, soul-refreshing God, and he is the Lord of the Sabbath. Paul tells us in Colossians 2, 16, 17, that the Sabbath and the feast, they are shadows of Jesus, and Jesus makes this clear uh, throughout the Gospels, particularly in Matthew 12, Mark 2, and Luke 6, um, during the account of when he and his disciples, they're walking through this field on Sabbath, the disciples are hungry, so they begin to pick some of the grain and, and rubber and eat, um, and the Pharisees see what they're doing, and so they accuse Jesus of allowing his disciples to break the Sabbath because they're technically working according to um, the, the rules that they had placed, man-made traditions that they placed around these things. And so he refutes the Pharisees by telling them, reminding them of the story in 1 Samuel 21 of how David and his men were fleeing from Saul, and they eat the showbread from the tabernacle, and how you know, this, was, this was unheard of, this wasn't allowed, because this was, the showbread was for the priests alone. And then he tells them that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And so the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath which means he is the creator of Sabbath. He um, is the overseer of it. He is the fulfillment of the Sabbath. He is our true source of rest. And so again, that famous invitation from Matthew 11 to those that are weary, well, to those that are weary um, but this time, let me read it in a different translation. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me and you'll recover your life. I will show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. It's in him that we find our true Sabbath rest. And we can rest because his work is complete. And it's in this truth that we can we can just rest in and not get caught up in this Um, wrong idea that we have to try and do something, that we have to earn salvation or his love or or anything, Uh, because the reality is that's a never-ending and an unachievable task. But his work is perfect and it is complete, and so we can rest in that. Just in finishing, I want to read you Hebrews um, chapter 4, because uh, the author of Hebrews summarizes this this idea really well. Starting in verse 1, going to verse 11. Says therefore, since the promise of entering His rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us, just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now we who have believed enter that rest, just as God has said. So I declared on, on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his works have been finished since the creation of the world, for somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. On the seventh day God rested from all his works. And again in the passage above he says, They shall never enter my rest. Therefore, since it still remains for some to enter that rest, and since those who had formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, God again has set a certain day, calling it today. This he did when when a long time later he spoke through David, as in the passage already quoted. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. And it seems kind of counterintuitive that it takes effort to enter into rest. But as we've been discussing, that's the reality of the world that we live in. Um, And it takes effort to go against uh, the expectations and the norms of our society, You know, to search for true rest, to not fall into um, this illusion of a false sense of rest through spending hours, you know, scrolling through our phones or um, watching Netflix at the end of a long, hard day or, you know, working tirelessly for 11 months of the year so that we can earn the right to rest for two or four weeks um, and then just start that cycle again. These are false illusions of rest Um, and practicing Sabbath takes effort. It's, for most of us, it's not our norm, particularly if we were to expand a little more on it than, you know, just attending Sunday services, which is a fantastic thing to do. It's part of our worship, uh, but it takes effort to do, uh, to, to practice Sabbath. But its fruits far exceed the effort that it takes, um, and they are genuine and they are lasting uh, because we are tapping into the way of being that we were designed for. And so, Father, I just pray that you would help us to enter into that kind of rest today. As you said, that there is a time, there is a day, and that day is today. Lord, that you would help us to have soft hearts, not to harden ourselves um, or become disillusioned and think that, you know, we're okay, we've got this, um, it's all right, I'm managing. But to just surrender ourselves, surrender the yoke that we're carrying, and Father, I pray that there would be um, an exchange, that an exchange would take place this morning, that we would give you our yoke and we would take upon your yoke, that we would give you our weariness and we would receive your rest, that we would give you the heaviness that we were carrying and would receive something that is light and is fitting for us. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would open our eyes to this beautiful reality of the practice of Sabbath. And thank you for the faithfulness of the men and women in this room to keep Sabbath, to come, to worship, to fellowship as part of what Sabbath is about. And Lord, if there are ways that we can um, expand on this, I pray that you would make it known to us if there are things that we think we're doing that are restful, that really aren't bringing that rest of our souls, as Jesus promised, that you would just gently correct us and, and make us aware of that. And that you would open our eyes to just the possibilities of delighting ourselves in you. Help us to learn to delight ourselves to you, to find true joy in you, um, and to enjoy who you are, God. Thank you that we are, you know, we are surrounded by people that are faithful, that are serving you, that are obeying you, Lord. But help us to delight and to enjoy you, I pray. And that that would um, be seen by those around us. That that the testimony, the joy that we uh, we we carry whatever the situation may be it would be attractive to people that you know they're not looking at this kind of dry dreary religious routine of Christianity but they see men and women that just love to serve God whatever the situation whatever He asks of us that we are content with much we are content with little and so Father I just pray that you would continue to prepare us for whatever the days ahead lie. Um, that we would be ones that would be found faithful, that we would be good and faithful servants, that we would run the race, Lord, and we would cross that finishing line. In your mighty name, Lord, I pray that you would bless each person in this place and just give them rest today. Fill their tanks, take away weariness, take away heaviness, fill them up, Lord Jesus, as you can only do. And prepare them for the week ahead. In your name we pray. Amen. Awesome, guys. Thank you so much for coming bless you guys stick around for time of fellowship tea coffee savories all those things and yeah enjoy your week